What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Active Life Podcast. I'm Dr. Sean Pastuch, and I'm your host. Today's guest is Marcus Philly, the founder of Revival Strength and Functional Bodybuilding. Great name. Nobody wants to not be jacked and not be functional. So that was a that's a good catch by Marcus to come up with that Instagram name. So Marcus Philly is a guy who has competed at the highest level that fitness really has to offer. He's been on the floor at the CrossFit Games multiple times, and now he's a coach to, I didn't ask him actually how many people, but I imagine a lot of people, helping them get to their goals. Um, when I first talked about bringing Marcus on to some of my friends, a lot of the, the concern people brought to me was, well, Marcus does things that are fairly similar to what you do. Why would you want to bring him on? Isn't that going to be bad for your business? No. People, people, you need to understand that good training is good training. And if we were the only ones in the world providing people with good training, the world would be in a really bad way. We're not looking for the same client that Marcus is looking for. And even if we are, there's a lot of them out there. People aren't coming to him and saying, hey, I have this, this, and this as my MRI findings. I can't do this. Can you help me circumvent going to see a physical therapist with good training? At least I don't think. You know, and people aren't coming to us saying, hey, I really want to look good naked. I want to move really, really well. And if I can compete, that would be awesome. There, look, we get some of that, but we typically will we'll let people know that we're not, we're not a bodybuilding company. We're not going to focus on your pecs. Nothing wrong with it. It's just not what we do. We're great at improving joint health through smart exercise. On this episode, um, I was really impressed by Marcus. He He's a deep guy. He was very, very transparent about everything we talked about from um, his willing, his desire to continue to compete, his experience with his own coach, um, attacking emotional intelligence with his staff, program design, you name it, we talked about it. It was, it was a really cool podcast. The one thing we didn't cover a lot is what's it like to be a CrossFit Games athlete? Because I just don't find it that interesting. I think that the stuff that we discussed today is profoundly more important, profoundly more valuable. And I think that you guys are going to listen and be like, wow, that's some cool stuff those guys talked about. So I hope that that's what happens. And if it is, when it is, you know what you need to do. I need you to share this. Send it to a friend. Send it to six friends. Send it to your whole phone. Start a group text and tell them to send it to people. Whatever you need to do, guys, we need to get our message out there. We're doing well. We have a lot of listenership on the show now compared to where we were when we first started. And that's exciting. Um, But I'm never going to be satisfied. So I need you guys to help us get it out there so that we can continue to spread the good word and so that you can end up talking to more smart people because they're getting themselves educated. It's always more fun to talk to someone who brings you up than talk to someone who you have to bring up. Um, That's it, guys. Give us a rating. Five stars is awesome. Four stars, fine. Whatever you got to do, leave a comment. Five stars is better, though. I'm not going to keep you any longer. Let's get you guys to Marcus Philly and the Active Life Podcast. So, Marcus Philly, welcome to the Active Life Podcast. Thank you for having me, Sean. Glad to be here, man. It's my pleasure. I've been looking forward to interviewing you, especially because of 
how similar some of the stuff that you put online looks to some of the stuff that we put online. And yeah. I've, I've told a few people since I decided that I was going to, to, since I decided, since you agreed to coming on, <laughs> to coming on the show, I'm like, Oh, I'm going to interview Marcus Philly. I'm really excited about it. And they're like, well, why would you do that? It doesn't do like the same thing that you do. And I was like, first of all, no, you know, <laughs> no, he doesn't. And second of all, if, if every good coach in the world couldn't talk to any other good coaches because they were worried about doing the same thing, then we'd be in a lot of trouble. That's so, totally right. And it's funny when you reached out, I think because I'm just, I think there's just maybe a little bit of that like culture, fear-based culture around like collaboration with people that are similar that I, I even had that kind of like reaction. I was like, Oh my God, why does, why does he want to talk to me? Like, you know, but you're hundred percent right. And I'm so glad that we're chatting and um, yeah, there's more similarities than there are differences. And I think what we do, which is great to connect with somebody who shares, uh, you know, some similar viewpoints, I think. Yeah. And, and, and also some different viewpoints about the same things. You know, it's, yeah. I have um, I have a friend who gave me a good example. He's like, if, if everybody's looking at the wall from the same angle, everybody sees a flat wall. But if you walk around the other side, somebody can see that, oh, well, that, that wall's actually curved. You know, it's a circle on the other side. But if they're sure. only looking at it from that side, then it's only a circle and there's no way it's flat. Right. So, so it's interesting, you know, the, the idea that I might have somebody, for example, doing single arm high pulls, you might have them doing single arm high pulls. And the reason I have them doing it would be for X, Y, Z. And you'd be like, oh, I didn't think that it would work for that, but I use it for ABC and it seems to get yeah. the same result. So totally right. Yeah. I think it's very cool. Um, so would you mind just kind of giving the listeners a background on who is let me get be a little more specific, give you, give you an angle to go. Sure. What is revival strength? You know, where, where, where did it come from? Because that, that's your company, right? Functional mm-hmm. bodybuilding is the, the Instagram handle that uh, I should have thought of, but, <laughs> but didn't because <laughs> it's awesome. It's, it's, you know, it, nobody looks at that and says, Oh, I don't want to be functional or jacked. so so brilliant name but but where you know where did this whole thing come from yeah uh, well revival strength is just um the current iteration of my coaching career um and where i'm at now uh in 2018 is that right is that what you were in yeah um i keep crossing out the sevens i got it yeah yeah um i started on my coaching fitness coaching journey really uh 10 years ago um when i you know took my first leap into uh you know maybe making a career out of health and fitness um i was you know a in undergrad i was into health sciences i was studying um as a pre-med at uc berkeley and that was really you know this path that I had been on, um, for a number of years, a lot of, you know, hours and, you know, months and years of dedication to kind of pursuing a life as a, as a, as a Western medical doctor, because my family was sort of, um, my family, I had a family of doctors, which then led me to believe, okay, that could be something that I could do. Um, I was good at the math and sciences in high school, undergrad. And so, I went to medical school for a year and a half um, until I realized that, you know, that wasn't the path I wanted to pursue for my career. 
um, that I really wanted to be more on like the health and wellness, you know, health promotion side rather than the disease, uh, you know, uh, symptom treatment side of life and, um, and, and sorry, side of healthcare. And so I started, I actually got into coaching fitness in like 2008 or 2009 was my first go at like anything coaching related. And it started, it really started in like, you know, coaching some people at the local track, which then turned into me coaching at a CrossFit gym, which turned into me owning a CrossFit gym, which then turned into me leaving and starting Revival Strength, the coaching business that is focused predominantly on individual coaching uh, for clients locally and worldwide. And there's a lot in that answer for me to go back and unpack. But one of the things that I've actually, I asked a bunch of my Instagram followers what they would like to know, and this is a good spot for me to ask you, is I think that you're well known for being an OPEX athlete, right? Mike Mike yeah. Lee is your coach, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct, yeah. Um, so what is different about revival strength programming and, and OPEX programming? If somebody's trying to decide, hey, which one do they, how do they decide which one to go with? That's a great question. I mean, you know, I think most good coaches and even great coaches have, uh, they can trace their, you know, <clears throat> biggest inspirations and mentor, you know, they can trace back who those biggest inspirations and mentors were that influenced their style. Um, <clears throat> yeah, there are definitely people out there that are innovative and unique and they've created their own style out of nothing. And they're, you know, they tend to be either really famous or no one's ever heard of them. <laughs> Um, I'm definitely somebody who was inspired and influenced by James Fitzgerald early on, um, from his early days as a competitor in CrossFit to then his, uh, CCP program with OPEX and, uh, continuing education as, uh, you know, as I was trying to enhance my knowledge as a fitness coach, um, I've been an OPEX, uh, person for years. Um, so I started out as a, as an OPEX CCP coach, which is, you know, their, continuing education program where we learn, um, you know, a, a insight into assessment, program design, life coaching, nutrition uh, coaching, as well as uh, how to run a fitness business. And I started that back in 2010. And then I started getting my first time I started getting coaching from OPEX was in 2012 as an athlete. So James became my coach. And then fast forward two, three years later, Mike Lee then transitioned to coaching me. Um, so I have to say like, you know, Revival Strength is my coaching business and it is the product of all my years of experience as an athlete, which date back to when I was 13 years old and, you know, started lifting weights and playing sports when I was younger. Um, and most recently, you know, certainly within the CrossFit world, like my biggest influences um, have been from OPEX. So there are a lot of OPEX principles that I hold really, you know, dearly. It's how we, it's much of the framework by which we coach our on-site clients here at Revival Strength in San Rafael, California. Um, and then I think, you know, I don't, I think the, the, the true difference is that, you know, I'm not, I'm not an OPEX coach. I am, you know, right. I'm, I have my own business, right? And if you want to work with an OPEX coach, you, you, you contact OPEX Fitness and you can work with one of them. And they, they have done a great job of taking a lot of uh, competitive athletes that want to pursue CrossFit as a sport. And they have a robust remote coaching business for those types of individuals. And um, I think here at Revival Strength, we're really working with a lot of general population 
uh, athletes, people that want to look good, move well. They some want, some have competitive aspirations, but you know, I'm, I'm looking outside of my gym right now, who's on the floor and you know, most of them are just, they just want to feel good and they want to have, uh, you know, fitness be a positive thing in their life that they can do for years and years to come. And, um, you know, so we, we like to play a little bit of both sides. Um, but, <clears throat> but definitely, uh, you know, people that are inspired by what they see me do, it's like, we can take those principles, which are fun training principles, and we can apply them to individuals with a wide spectrum of goals and make it sustainable for a long time. And, and, and ideally not burn you out. Uh, well, from- I, I think it's, I think that it would be unfair of anybody to expect it just because you have a coach who works for a company that you then have to coach for that company. So I, yeah. I, don't, I don't think there's anything wrong. I was just curious what the, what the, if, if there was a difference, what the difference was, if, if OPEX was a, if, if revival was an OPEX company and, and now I understand it's not. And I, I certainly can appreciate the entrepreneurial spirit that you bring with that. So let's, yeah. let, let's go back to, cause I, I mean, personally for me, if I wake up in the morning and I'm not doing exactly what I feel like I need to be doing, I am suffocating. Like it, it literally feels like I can't breathe. So I have to be working on this. Um, and we, we can even get to that a little bit later on, but, um, but I want to go back to you being in medical school, you know, because, yeah. because we glossed over that because it's so easy for you to say it. And it's easy for you to say it because it was your experience. You reconciled with the whole decision-making process. But I imagine that most of the people listening to this have never been able to make a decision that profound and that, you know, for lack of a better term, risky in their lives because they're afraid of it. They never even considered it. And what I mean by that is you're in medical school. You're the top of your class because I know we've spoken about this before. You're at the top of your class in medical school. Both of your parents are doctors. And it's like, yeah, Marcus is on his way. He's going to be a doctor. He's going to make the money a doctor makes. He's going to have the job security that a doctor gets. He's going to have the credibility and the, you know, the, the, the accolade that a doctor receives. And you're like, nah, I'm going to do something different. And maybe eventually I'll own a company that writes exercise programming on this thing called the internet that right now still has dial up and you get like, the, you know, right. so, like this conversation literally wasn't possible when you made this decision. That's true. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, what, if, if you could just take us through that, because I think that there's so many people out there who need to take massive action towards what they know they need to take massive action towards, but yeah. they haven't, they haven't reached the place where what they're doing is more painful than what they're missing out on. Yeah. Um, gosh, well, I certainly had a lot of years to think about this and at different times in my life, I spent, you know, spent years in therapy, you know, basically unpacking my own experience with it all. Um, and I think that one of the things that allowed it to happen was that, I always had a pretty, like, I don't know. There, I was very self-aware as a young adult and I was, I, I, I wanted to experience and I let myself experience the emotions and the feelings that I was having at any given time um, deeply. And by experiencing something deeply, I could really, you know, I could just, just see how it fit into my life and really kind of make sense of it in a way. 
Um, and that might be a part of the reason why people don't take big action steps is because they don't, they don't experience their own feelings. They're not really attuned to what's actually happening. I mean, people are going through life in jobs or in career, yeah, career paths or family situations or places that they're just unsatisfied with, but they're just numb to it. And they don't, they don't reflect on it perhaps. And therefore they just keep going. They just keep going and just are kind of blind to what's, what's going on. Um, and, and that was not the case with me. I was hyper aware of how, how depressed I was, how sad I was as a medical student, how far removed from who I saw myself as like this, my, my essence as a person was. Um, and, and it was that contrast between <clears throat> where I was at that moment. And then just like two to three years prior to that, when I had like been at like the most like alive part of my life that I had ever been, um, it was that sharp contrast where I went from, you know, a two year gap year, two years of between undergraduate <laughs> medical school where I explored myself, d- dug deep into my spirituality, traveled the world, you know, found out who I really was. And then fast forward, you know, 18 months and I was in this deep, dark depression of like, I'm so far removed from who I should be. And it was that contrast to me that was like, it propelled me to make a big decision, a scary decision. And one that, you know, probably had I not had those experiences before medical school, had I taken, had I just gone from undergraduate right into medical school, I probably would have just kept grinding because I wouldn't have known that there was like a, there was a better me out there that was just like being covered up by, by not being aligned with my passion. So when you were in school, were, were you more, were you more upset with what you were doing or what you knew you would be able to do when you graduated? Because I imagine there's people who are listening to this who are going to be like, yeah, well, I'm in the suck right now too. But once I graduate, like I'll be able to do a lot of cool stuff with my education and my degree. So I'm just going to stick it out. How did, how did you oh, reconcile that? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I mean, and that was something that I, I think my dad – my dad kind of hung on to for a bit. He really was, he really didn't want me to make a decision. He doesn't, nobody wants, you know, I don't think anyone wants their kid to make the wrong decision or make a decision without all the information. And for him, it was like, you know, medical school is hard. Like I had a hard time too. I had a lot of the same feelings that you had, you know, and it's, it's brutal for anybody that goes through it. You know, I mean, I just don't even, can't even describe how brutal it is. Um, But it wasn't the, this is hard. I don't like doing what I'm doing. Cause as you said, like I was doing, I was doing well, you know, I was figuring it out. I was, I was getting really good grades and good scores. And, um, but it was really the like, okay, I, I know this is hard. This is a grind, but what's at the end of the, you know, what's at the end of the tunnel for me, you know, and in eight years, once I've got my medical degree and I finished residency and I'm maybe applying to a fellowship and like maybe at year 10, I'm, I'm going to get a job. What's that look like? And I wanted to be coaching people in health and fitness and prescribing nutrition protocols and <clears throat> basically getting people to like do the stuff that made me happiest, which was moving, connecting with people, you know, eating a balanced diet and having good lifestyle practices. And so I was like, do I need to go through eight years or 10 years of education to, to basically get back to doing something that's different than that. And I, 
I just didn't see the end, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel. It was like, this is an endless tunnel that I don't even know what I want to do at the end of it. So I can't keep plugging away. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard the proverb of the man on the pier? I don't know if I have. I don't think so. So, so it reminds me of the story you just told because it, it, it's a story that, that is basically it's, I guess it's essentially for the, for somebody who isn't, it, it partly relates to you. Part, part of it doesn't because you do have interest in scaling and helping a lot of people and growing a big business potentially. Um, but so it's a story of this man is sitting on a pier and he's fishing and he's doing a really good job. He keeps on catching fish. And somebody walks over and he says, you know, this, this successful businessman walks over and he's like, hey, you're doing a great job. If you did it like this, you could catch 10 times more fish. And if you started catching 10 times more fish, you could get a net that would catch you even more. And once you're catching enough fish, you could get a boat and you could set up multiple docks and have people fishing for you. And then once you have enough people fishing for you, catching enough fish, you would have all the time in the world to sit on the dock and just fish for yourself. And the guy was like, well, I'm sitting on the dock fishing for myself right now. So why would I go through all that stuff to end up right back where I am? Yeah. I mean, there are some similarities in that story. It was like, I was like, okay, eventually I'll like, I'll have it all. Like I'll have this career. I'll have, you know, I'll be making a good living and maybe I'll be able to like set up uh, a lifestyle where I can like train in my garage some more than I'm, <laughs> that I can train now. And I'll like, maybe I'll set up a little, you know, my local affiliate wherever I end up taking my medical practice. And um, yeah, it was kind of like that. And and I, I do kind of, and I do kind of have that vision of like, well, how can I scale this thing to help a lot of people, but not in the, uh, you know, not at the expense of me being able to do what I love to do every day. And that's something that I'm coming back to a lot in this year of my life and business growth is that things have changed and grown pretty fast for, for us over here at Revival Strength. And a lot of opportunities come my way, a lot of things I could be doing, and I'm excited to jump into them. And I'm like, wait a minute. Like I still want to train every day. I still love to connect with like, you know, what's happening on the floor, get dirty in the gym, like work with people, you know, connect with my coaches. And if I do those other five things, that's just going to pull me away from what I really want to be doing. So those lessons from when I was in medical school, still carrying over to today, even when I'm doing things that I love. Uh, for me, that's really impressive that you were able to figure that out. I know you said you went to therapy. You have parents who are influential in your life. You sound like you have a really good support system around you, which is which is great. And and I first before I go any further, I want to thank you because that's a story that a lot of people probably don't really feel that comfortable telling. You know, it's you went through a difficult time in your life, and and I appreciate you opening up and sharing it with us because for me that that makes you a more impressive person to know that. Yeah, it's it's. It's probably not a story I would have felt super. I think the the fact that I somewhat landed on my feet after the whole mm -hmm. process, you know, and I really like I can look back and be like, well, there was there's no doubt in my mind that was the best decision possible for me. It makes it much easier to share the story. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's something that I want people to share more. You know, people should be. You know, that, there there are stories out there like that, and and it doesn't. You don't have to land on your feet for it to be worth it. You know, right. it's like, you know, pain is pain. If you're if you're suffering, you know, and you need to make a decision to get out of that suffering, then, you know, I I commend people for doing that. Well, I mean, the other thing too is you you've landed on your feet, you know, perceptively, but maybe in five years you're gonna be like, wow, I thought I was on my feet five years ago. How about now? You know, yeah. so, so, so it's also about the perception of 
what is what does that mean to land on your feet? You know, are you just back yeah. on the dock fishing again, and that's really all you wanted to do. Then, then who cares? Yeah. It doesn't matter how much yeah. money you're making. It's it's what it, what is the money getting for you? True. Um, totally. So so I just I think it's very uh, it was an interesting story and it's it's insightful and I appreciate you sharing it with us. Yeah, my pleasure. So so when we if we if we use that kind of as a backdrop, mm-hmm. do you find because you've reached the highest level of competition that that the sport of CrossFit, for example, has to offer. Do you, in order to do that, you either have to be a naturally born genetic freak who's willing to work hard or somewhere in between working super smart and having the ability, you know, the baseline ability level to get there. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you find that in your training, in your coaching, in in, in all of the decisions that you're making day to day, are you able to kind of go back and make the decisions that are harder for other people to make because you've made them? And it's like, well, this is not harder than dropping out of medical school. If I just cut back from eight sets of four reps and I go to seven sets of five, the world isn't going to end. You know, if, mm-hmm. we, if we cut out deadlifting for a month, probably yeah. not going to die. Do you think that there's an influence there? Um, I think for me, it's, um, well, specifically around training and, and then the, the practices that go into training. Um you know, the, the lifestyle nutrition elements that must be accompanying, you know, a good training regimen, the experience of doing it for as long as I've been doing it gives me, yeah, it gives me the insight to know, like, you know, (laughs) small deviations from like the plan in the long run, don't change the outcome, you know? Um, and, and really it's like having the flexibility and the self-awareness to know like when you need to make adjustments, um, you know, being honest with yourself, with your coach, whoever's your support system, um, you know, those actually uh, will propel you much further in the, in the game and in the sport. Um, and in fitness in general, if you're, if you're not looking to be competitive, you just want to be, you know, healthy, look good, good body composition, et cetera. Yeah. Those are the, those are the traits that definitely carry further than, I'm just going to do everything. I got it. I can't stop. I got to keep going. Like, you know, don't, don't tell me I'm going to, I can't deadlift because I'm going to keep deadlifting, et cetera. Well, yeah, I mean, sport is inherently unhealthy. You know, it's not, it's not like, Oh, the best athlete in the world is also the healthiest person in the world. They have issues that they're dealing with because they're in it. Um, and I think that when you go into that stuff without mindfulness, you, you make it even worse for yourself. But so one of the things I want to ask you about that kind of goes down the path of coaching and athletics is it seems these days like every athlete who decides that they made it to a high level is going to write a program. You know, it's like mm-hmm. you have the so-and-so program, the so-and-so method, the, the you know, the what yeah. all that kind of stuff. And I want to give you an opportunity to kind of tell people what's different about what you're doing. Than, sure. than just kind of posting what you're doing. That's a great point. And, and it was something that um, really sh- I had to, th- I thought a lot about when I was considering writing an online program in the beginning, you know, I was getting a lot of requests at a certain, there's a certain phase of my training about 18 months ago where, or 14 months ago, where people were like, Hey, how do I do what you're doing? And will you post your workouts? Where do you post your workouts? As we already discussed, Mike Lee is my coach. The workouts that I'm doing for my training are written by Mike Lee, right? Mm -hmm. And they still are to this day. And I do them to the T, you know, every single day. And I value that experience. And 
the point, you know, the big point there is that it's written for Marcus Philly and, you know, my lifestyle and my nutrition practices and my years of training experience and all the things that go into who I am as a person and as an athlete. So it never resonated with me to say, okay, well, I'm going to just put my program out there and let other people follow it and pay me money for it. Right. It just didn't feel right because I knew that <clears throat> there are very few individuals out there that are exact replica of me or have, you know, similar practices to what I do and take care of themselves maybe the way I do. And I also had this growing audience that wanted to experience some of the things that I was doing in my training, which I think were truly and genuinely different than what a lot of people um, are putting out as online programs and was unique. And therefore I felt like, Hey, you know, how do I find this happy medium where I can give a wide audience an experience of training, you know, like me without having to sign on for individual coaching? Because I got this, you know, I got a lot of inquiries and I was one coach and I can't take on 150, 200 individual clients. I don't have that bandwidth. Um, So I kind of found this thing where I was like, okay, I'm going to basically write a training program that is the that is going to be like, I'm going to market it really as like the anti-competitors program. It's like, it's not for competitors. It's not to like get you to the CrossFit games. It's to let you cut. I mean, and we use the hashtag look good, move well. It's like, this is just make you feel better. Make you fall in love with your training again. Make you, you know, uh, connect with what you love about training when you started. And maybe you kind of lost sight of in just this nonstop attempt to go harder and faster. And, um, and I also made it a, a kind of a, a confined period of time. It wasn't like sign up. You're going to do programming with me forever. It was like, it's 12 weeks, go and give it a shot. And when you're done with your 12 weeks, you know, take that information, education, what you learned and let it impact your future as a fitness athlete or let it impact your future just as a fitness enthusiast or, you know, share it with a friend, whatever you're going to like, hopefully gain something from it. Um, and so that's where I kind of arrived and I felt it was an experiment and it was about a year ago that we launched the experiment and it's been, you know, it's been really great. It's, it's helped me connect with so many people and, and truly I think it's, uh, you know, one of the most impactful things I've had in, in the fitness world in terms of the, the audience and the size of the audience and what they've experienced based upon something I've done. And that feels really, you know, it feels really good as a coach to have, um, you know, upgraded just a little bit, a lot of people's training experience out there. Well, I think that's, I think it's very cool how you described it. And I want to ask if you have experienced the same thing that I'm kind of experiencing myself in some cases. I've, I've recently decided that my goal with my clients is to make myself as expendable as possible. You know, I started to notice that there were some people who were like, hey, I, like, I, I don't know what to do about this. What do you, and I was like, you know what? I want to educate these people to the level that they really don't need me. That, mm. if, that if they're working with me, it's because they really, really want to be working with me. Not because yeah. they feel like if they don't, they're going to go and regress back to being in a world of hurt. And what sure. I found is that when I make that effort to educate my clientele and to, to help them to empower themselves – it all becomes more sticky and retention actually improves even mm-hmm. though these people are now out in their own gyms coaching people with the methodology that I'm coaching them with, which is sure. very much what it sounds like you and Mike Lee have done with each other. So yeah, without it, a doubt, I, I experienced that for sure. 
is it, I've also seen that you do staff meetings. Like I, I know that MISPA, who, who is the Airborne Mind podcast, we were on his one time. I think yeah. he made a post where it was basically like your, your weekly staff meeting. Yeah. Um, and is that something that you've been able to instill in your staff? Is, is it like, a, have you, have you outwardly mentioned that this is something that we want to be doing or is it just organically occurring? Um, well, I think it's a bit of both for sure. I mean, you know, we truly have kind of multiple tiers to, to the business, but you know, kind of the end of the funnel, so to speak is like people arriving at individual coaching with us where they're getting a one-to-one experience with a coach and coach client, one program, one design built around them. And, and the, and we definitely try and like, we, we, we preach that philosophy of like, we're here to educate people on how to like use this information for the rest of their life. And, um, and in doing so, like you said, it creates this feeling of, wow, I, I have somebody who truly cares about me, like a relationship that matters, which is so rare nowadays. People are like, have these, you know, relationships with people through technology that is just so impersonal. So when we create a relationship with a coach and a client that's that's built on trust from caring about them, giving a lot of education, empowering them with knowledge, um, people, I think, really, they value that so much. And that that's not something that they want to let go of. And they want to stay connected to you as a coach for a long time. And, um, and, and when we do our, you know, education, you know, meetings like, we have a rotating schedule where it's like one week we're like yesterday we were on the floor, like talking about how to do a trap three raise correctly so that we can upgrade our client's experience on the floor. And then the week before that we were doing case study presentations around challenges that coaches are having in building relationships with their clients. How are they breaking down some like, you know, emotional, you know, uh, barriers that clients might be putting up. And so it's like, okay, that's another big part of what we want to educate our coaches on is, you know, solidifying these relationships that are so important to the clients. Um, and then another week of education might be about like, okay, how do we, how do we market our business better? How do we get more clients to come and experience what we do? Mm-hmm. So we're, we're really trying to hit all those different areas with our coaches. And that again, you know, is very much inspired by my experience with my education through OPEX and what they've instilled in me and what they've taught me through all the years of education I've done with them. Now, you mentioned coaching your coaches through emotional barriers that members are throwing up or you know clients are throwing up. I would really like to go down that path with you for a minute because I sure. believe that that is one of the things that gyms are missing on such a regular basis. You know, you're, you're a coach and you're standing in the front of the room and you're teaching people how to perform a snatch, let's just say, for example. And, you know, John, who's in your class – just isn't paying attention. Like the guy's just not into it. He's not listening to what you're having to tell him. He's been there for two years. He's still doing everything the wrong way. So as a coach, it's very easy to say, you know, John, that guy never listens. He's just, he doesn't, he doesn't care. He's uncoachable. But what you, but what you didn't do is ask John how his life is going and find out that, you know, his kids are struggling in school. His wife just got a, you know, a medical diagnosis that makes him unhappy. He's not thrilled with his work and coming to the gym. He's not really caring if he snatches perfectly. He just kind of wants to burn off some steam and it would, it would give you different insight. So how do you, first of all, where do you, where have you been educated in order to educate on that? And, and then how do you impart that education on your staff formally? 
Great question. So we, we've kind of come at this from a few different angles. Um, you know, one of the biggest, well, I think it, it actually started for me, like back in my, you know, I, I've been coaching for years prior to being a fitness coach, you know, I've coached youth sports. I was a one-to-one, you know, high school, college tutor. Um, uh, <clears throat> then I was in medical school where like, you know, it was starting the, the shift in education and culture in medical school was like, Hey, we need to create good doctors that have good bedside manner. Like we can't just be robots that go into a room and like throw on the latex gloves and throw some pills at people and leave and not make connections. So <laughs> we, we actually did a lot of like, you know, we had like whole courses on doctoring on like building relationships with people. Um, you know, my, my wife, uh, and, and this is like the last seven years of my life, this the woman that I'm married to now, when we met, you know, she's a clinical psychologist and she, um, does, you know, one-to-one talk therapy, couples therapy. So she has, you know, I've learned so much from my relationship to my wife over the years of the power of like connecting with one another, uh, language, nonverbal cues, question asking. Um, and then of course, you know, seven years of individual coaching experience with clients where I've done throughout that whole process, consultations with people, uh, monthly, all my clients have always gotten 30 minute consultations with me where we sit down, we talk, um, I've done a consultation with my coach from OPEX every month for the last six years, you know, and that's James Fitzgerald and Mike Lee. And so learning through doing learning through some formal education and then having my wife, um, actually be part of our education system here at our gym. So, you know, she spends, uh, one, one, two hour session a month with the staff, you know, giving her, giving her insight into like, well, this is the years of like, you know, therapy practice that I've done. These are the things that work for you uh, or can work for you. This is the language. These are the questions to ask. These are some of the ways that we can open up and dive deeper with subjects and, and ideas for your uh, clients. Um, so we try and package all that. So I, I know I have some experience and some credibility to, to help my coaches with that because I've done it for a lot of years, but I also realize the limits to my knowledge in that domain, because it's certainly not my number one strength. It's still an area I have to grow. You know, I'm, I probably have more to offer in the way of assessment program design, you know, knowledge to impart on my coaches. And so that's why I brought in, you know, really a trained uh, professional to sort of share some of her experience with the coaches. And she does a tremendous job with that um, when they get, you know, a chance to sit down with her and me too. I learned so much from her as well. So that's a, that's a, clear unfair advantage <laughs> yeah i know okay. so i, I want to just put that out into the, into the marketplace let everybody understand you have a very clear unfair advantage in having a <laughs> clinical psychologist as a wife and you yeah. you kept mentioning uh the word language and one of the things i do not have a clinical psychologist as a wife i have a special ed biology teacher as a wife which is which is awesome she has to learn this stuff her own way as well um yeah. but um you kept on using the word language and one of the books that my wife had me read, I want to say like four years ago, that really did transform our relationship was the five love languages. Yeah, so, my wife's my wife's peppered me with a lot. She knows I have I struggle with reading like actual books. Uh, <laughs> you know, I do audibles okay. Right. But she sent me a lot of articles on the love languages. We've taken plenty of quizzes. We know our love languages for yeah. sure. Well, well, so for people who don't know, basically the idea is that you might be doing things for other people that you would want someone to do for you in order to demonstrate that they care about you. You know that they love yeah, you. So, exactly. but but they're like, I don't. That doesn't show me love. 
you know, you changing the oil in my car is nice, yeah. but I'll take it to Jiffy Lube and have them do it. It doesn't like I don't I don't know that you love me because you changed the oil. I thought you liked changing oil in cars. Right. You know? So so like for example, my wife is quality time and I'm physical touch. And then our second yeah. one is both acts of service. But knowing that kind of stuff is so valuable because now, you know, if I have a friend who I know is gifts, they like receiving gifts. That's a person I might send a gift to in the mail that costs me $5 but takes some thought. And they're like, oh, man, Sean really cares about me. And that's yeah, – right. It, so it's cool. Do you Have you had your staff take any kind of – or I guess does your wife have your staff take any kind of testing like that so that you can know them better and so they can learn to learn about their clients better? We do a lot of question asking in our groups. Like um, one of the questions that we brought to our meeting recently was like, you know, what's a trait about yourself that you, that you want to bring to the group or that, you know, is like, you could add value to our, our group. And it really just, you know, and we flip that too. And it's like, we've gone around the room and we've on sheets of paper, we've written down what we admire about the people in the group and what their skills and their traits and the value that they bring to our life. Um, but it's, it's definitely, I mean, it's been a powerful bonding experience for our coaching staff because we've all had an opportunity to sort of share our, what we believe is our best self and, and what we can offer. We've been given opportunities to share what about each other we really admire. Um, and, and it's, it's, yeah, I mean, we've, you know, it's been a year that we've been growing this coaching team and for some of these coaches, they've only been here for six months, but it's a really tight group um, who, <clears throat> you know, once that, that kind of security and that safety is felt and that uh, connection between us, then we can really dive into some deeper topics. When we go into education, we talk mm -hmm. about, you know, struggling with clients and, and having, you know, challenges like, you know, we're, that's, that's an easier area to, for us to dive, dive deeper into because of that trust and because of that vulnerability that's created in those environments. Yeah, it's very it, – that, that reminds me of um, – I heard a story about Dabo Swinney, who is the head coach of Clemson football. And have you ever yeah. heard about what he does with his team? No. So he has something that he calls a safe seat. I don't remember exactly. Like he was in a country and he saw this chair and he brought it back. And basically what he does is he has a player each week or each month. I'm not sure the exact procedure, but they sit in this seat – and they talk to the entire team. So, you know, 60 something alpha males, you know, they, yeah. they talk to everybody on the team and on the training staff about something that they wouldn't want to share with the general public that is giving them difficulty so that everybody on the team knows that guy's going through that thing. And wow. it, it creates this camaraderie in the team where they're all moving, like they all empathize with one another. And I think it's such a cool way to cultivate a, you know, a group of dudes. Wow. I, I can't wait to share that with my wife. That's uh, yeah, that's totally unique in that kind of culture. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, look, look it up because I, I could be butchering exactly what's going on. But the Dabo Swinney, the safe seat at Clemson University. I'll, I'll email it to you so, so you can right. find it. Um, so getting back to kind of some of the um, the physiology stuff here, one of the things that always kind of drove me nuts when I was in the personal training world where I spent a lot of time was the guy or the girl who would take their client into the middle of the floor and do a bunch of random stuff with them so that they looked cool and someone else would ask them questions and then they could sign them up as a client, but the client they right. were working with actually never changed physique. 
You know, it's mm. like that guy's busy, but he sucks. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So I know that what you're doing is not that because I've spoken to you in the past and I've, I've looked into it and, in, you know, briefly. But can you kind of clear that up for people so that they're not out there just being like, oh, well, Marcus Philly does an upside down unilateral kneeling kettlebell press. Uh, so I need to build that into my program once every month. And, you know, I'm going to look like Marcus Philly. Yeah. Well, I, it's a, it's a, it's a delicate balance for sure, because on the one hand, you know, if I chose the safe exercises, if I kept my shirt on in the videos, if I, you know, did like the really, I wouldn't reach as many people probably. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's not oh, true, but it, it my might thinking, be. Right? Mm -hmm. Might be. Um, <clears throat> and, and there's definitely movements that I put onto, you know, social media that are very simple and, you know, planks and side bridges and, you know, farmers carries and not super sexy. And then there are things that are kind of like, you know, when I let my creativity kind of go and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this thing. That's going to, it's, it's a little bit out there. It's kind of the center of the room, you know, everyone watch this and, you know, let's click on that. Um, and I think a balance of both is really important for, uh, for what I'm trying to do, which is reach a lot of people and then also bring it back to like, you know, teaching people about fundamentals and building a sound foundation around motor control and base strength. Um, and, and I try and do that somewhat in the captions of my posts and certainly in the programs that I'm putting out where, you know, um, our, uh, the first program that we offered, which was so awaken training series 1.0 on day one, people do dumbbell bench ring rows, single arm or uh, prone dumbbell rows and like push-ups at tempo. And it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's as simple as it gets really. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, uh, to me, it's like, yeah, yeah, that's where you start. You start with simplicity, you master that, and then we build complexity. Um, so it's good to show people, Hey, this is where you could go. Oh, and then here's a reminder of where we start right? I'm doing active bar hangs right now. I'm just hanging from the pull-up bar. Okay. And then I'm doing ice cream makers on the pull-up bar over here. So how are we going to bridge that gap? Let's get you interested in like, Oh, I want to maybe do that. And then from there we can, you know, we can, we can engage them in a conversation about coaching and progression and growth and fitness. It's funny that you said ice cream makers. Cause the analogy I was thinking was, yeah, nobody goes to the ice cream shop and orders sprinkles. And eats it with a spoon, you know, but, but these exercises that, that, that we're talking about are sprinkles. They, they can make something more enjoyable. They can make something more effective, but you're not going to go to the store and buy sprinkles and eat them with a spoon, you know, because right. you might go to the store and buy sprinkles. My father-in-law is an ice cream, you know, he owns an ice cream truck. And I think he'd be upset if I said, you're not going to go buy sprinkles. So <laughs> I got that one right. Um, so I appreciate that answer because I think that that hopefully will clear stuff up for people who are out there like, well, I do all these random exercises and I'm not getting the results that I'm looking for. It's like, well, yeah, yeah. you start with a base. Yeah. And, and it's, I'm the first to, uh, you know, I'm happy to speak about it to anybody that's, you know, wants to engage in conversation, but it's like, you know, the functional bodybuilding movements that people are getting, like some of the ones that people are getting really excited about that's not what got me, you know, the level of fitness I have today, you know, the level of fitness I have today allows me the ability to do some of these movements and get a good dose from them. 
Mm-hmm. Whereas if people move too quickly to doing a half kneeling bottom up kettlebell press, you know, uh, and they don't know how to do a seated dumbbell press, right? You know, with a stable surface, like they might not, you know, they're not, they might not get a good dose from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then they won't, like you said, they won't, their bodies won't change. They won't feel progress. They won't grow in their fitness and they might get frustrated. And, and I think that was kind of, you know, what was so great about when CrossFit came out is like, we're doing just the basics. We're going to squat. We're going to press. We're going to do a burpee. We're going to jump on a box. We're not going to use a BOSU ball. We're not going to use this. Like they kind of, it was that kind of feeling. And, um, to, to the same, in the same kind of, uh, thinking, I'm, I, I definitely am about starting with simplicity and then moving to complexity. And if complexity gets people to click on the page to come and check us out, I'm also not afraid to use that. Oh, you should. Yeah. You should. It's, you know, it's, it's, there's no problem with, you know, using an image that people are attracted to, that people then click on, that they then learn how to become foundationally sound. Yeah. It's, it's, it's when they click, it's, it's when they end up clicking on the image and then doing something that's actually not going to help them just so that someone on the other side of the, the computer can make a dollar. Yeah. You know, yeah. Which there's plenty of that out there. There's plenty of that out there. Um, so, I mean, what's, what's your short term future? Are you still competing? Should people be looking for Marcus Philly this year, at the open regionals in the games? Don't hold your breath for me on the open this year. I am, I am in full father business mode and, uh, and still, you know, training for, uh, you know, to keep my skills and my fitness high, as high a level as I can with all the other things on my plate. Um, but yeah, it's, um, you know, my back to the conversation about like kind of life coaching, helping our coaches dig into the relationships of their clients. You know, one of the things that we really like to hammer on at the beginning with clients is establishing what people's priorities are in life. You know, what are their, what's their value system? And, I think, you know, there's a great, I can't remember the exact of the quote, but it's like, you know, your priorities lie in what you do, not in what you say you're going to do. And so like, if I didn't look at what I do every day and what I wake up thinking about and what, you know, what my actions are, like, I'm not in a competitive CrossFitters mindset right now. Like I'm not, I'm not waking up thinking the way I should be thinking if I want to go to the CrossFit games. That just tells me that that's not what I should be doing. I, I put myself, you know, in a position to let somebody down because I'm dedi- I'm trying to dedicate something, you know, too much time to something that doesn't, isn't truly where I'm passionate about. Well, right that, that's also because you've been there. You know, there's a lot of people who are listening to this who are like, no, no, I'm trying to go to the games this year. Well, what are you doing every day? Oh, I have this job. I'm doing, you know, I just, yeah. I just got a new girlfriend and like, I'm, you know, putting this car back together. It's like, you're not trying to do what you think you're trying to do. You might want to do it, but you're not doing the necessary things to get there. Um, I have a few more questions that I wanted to ask you. Oh, one of them is I've noticed before that you use one of those um, bio biomarker watches, like a whoop maybe. Is that what you use? There it is. Whoop bam. Yeah. So do do you – one of the interesting debates that I've had with an athlete who I work with on the whoop is for him – he was like, if I wake up in the morning and it says I'm only 25% refreshed, I lose my shit. Like, I'm, I'm not sure what to do. It kind of throws me for a loop. I'm like, well, I need to train today. And 
how do you find, number one, do you feel like those things are effective in terms of monitoring what's going on? Obviously you do because you're wearing it, so you can skip that part. Number two is, um, does it play with you mentally to know, I thought I was recovered, but I guess I'm not. Yeah, no, interesting. It's funny. It's like, um, whoop, this, this particular device came into my life, you know, in the past year when I have not been in my peak of com- competitive, you know, fitness. Um, about, I want to say four years ago, 2013, maybe almost five years ago now, I actually was like experimenting with HRV. Um, there was like a, an HRV device that would plug into your phone with a heart rate strap that I, I, I was using. I think it was called BioForce or... Uh, just so people know, HRV is heart rate variability. I want to make sure. Yeah, that they, yeah, they which know. is a similar, some of the similar technology that's built into one of these bands. Mm-hmm. Um, anyhow, I was using it back then, and I was very much in the competitive scene. And um, I, I have to say, there was a bit of a, a mental um, obstacle that I was seeing in having this data. It was like, oh, I'm not recovered. You know, I would get a little. You know, if I wake up and I had a hard training day that day. And I was anxious about it. Like the anxiety I was feeling about something different was impacting my score. And I was just like, it, it did create some, some, uh, some drama for me, which is part of the reason why I ended up giving it up and not using it anymore. So for in a competitive scenario, I think um, <clears throat> if you find yourself that kind of person, then it's like, then you don't look at the data. Just let your coach look at the data. Like, right, right. I don't even think, you know, like that would be the ideal. It's like if I had an onsite client who I could wake up each morning and check my, you know, because we got the revival strength, whoop, you know, team, and we can see all our clients that have them. We can look at people's scores. If we were writing like, you know, day of program design, you know, we could make adjustments for them. They show up like, this is what you're doing today. You know, I saw your 30% or, or like, you don't even say that to them. It's right. like, oh yeah, you're just going to do this today. They're like, okay. You know, the next day they show up there. They're in the green. They're 95% recovered. Like, yeah, we're doing these three pieces that are, you know, ass kickers today or whatever, right? So, but uh, for me, I don't, I don't have a lot of mental uh, attachment to the numbers right now. It gives me good insight on my sleep, which has been such a, a journey this past year with having a baby and figuring out what the hell happens between seven and seven every night and morning. Yeah. You know, it's funny people, when I, I have two daughters, one, I think they're around your daughter's age. What are you, 16 months or something like that? How old is your daughter? 11 months okay. today. Way off. So we're, we are, <laughs> at, we're almost eight months. And by the time this airs, I'll have a, I think I'll have a three-year-old and I'll have like an eight month old. And yeah. It's funny because people like kids are so expensive and they're so invasive into your life. And like, they're definitely expensive and they're definitely invasive. But that invasiveness has actually forced me to take all the extraneous things in my life and throw them away and just Mm -hmm. focus on the stuff that's really important. And I find that my relationships are better. My business is absolutely better. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just, I feel like I have more clarity every day. Have you noticed anything similar to that for yourself? Um. I, I guess I haven't really thought of it that way. I mean, I still am a little, I still have like a little bit of that feeling of like, Oh, I'm maybe I've let go of some things that were important to me because there's no room for them in my life. But, but I think if I take some time to really look at the big picture, it's like, it's really helped me focus in on what matters the most. And, mm-hmm. um, and as we, you know, I have this great partner who is, you know, we're, we have a, a great you know, relationship and we're a team in this, in this parenting, you know, journey that we're on and finding a way to, uh, you know, parent 
give attention to her, but also still create room for, you know, for both of us to, um, to grow as individuals and as a couple. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely falling, falling into that boat of like, it's, you know, I, we're, we're already talking about, you know, are we going to, when are we going to have our second one? Well, I, I, the first one got me going. The second one was like, boom, dude, you need to cut it. <laughs> you you only yeah, have so much. Um, <laughs> all right. So I have two questions left that I want to ask you. One of them is a yeah. few questions in a row, but one of them I have to ask because one of my friends said to me, I, I'm, I literally will not talk to you for a week if you don't ask Marcus what kind of shampoo or conditioner he uses. So I have to ask. That's fine. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> to be honest, I don't even know. The thing that I, I'll be honest about is that I actually don't wash my hair very often at all. It's, it's like, I don't know what year it was. Someone, I, I, I used to be like a daily shampoo conditioner every day, mm-hmm. daily shampoo conditioner. And then somebody was like knowledgeable about hair. My hair, you know, person cut my hair was like, yeah, you're not supposed to do that. Like mm-hmm. once a week, you know, that's like about as much as you need. Cause you're just killing all these like natural oils. So, so that's all I needed was somebody to tell me like, you don't need to wash your hair. And I like took it to the extreme. I was like, once a month I wash my hair. And so I've kind of gotten back to like somewhere in like reasonable middle ground, but um, just whatever's up there. I honestly have like a all in one body wash head soap thing. And I don't, it just I, should works. Take, I should probably take the, the thing about long hair is that it's really low maintenance. Like I don't wear it down very much. So I just like, whatever I do, towel off, run a brush, put it in a pony. it's like, that's, that's my whole, my whole deal where I don't have to worry about styling it or gel or product or it's become infinitely easier with longer hair. Well, it's working. It's so, working so, so the last thing I like to ask these questions sometimes, um, just to see where somebody kind of, where somebody's priorities lie, I guess there's no good answer. There's no bad answer. I'm just really curious the, the, the quick, like, I'm going to hit you yeah, with this. Okay. I'll, I'll try and be quick. Yeah. So, and that's not to say you can't be long. I like your long answers. They're good. But okay. this, this is, this is what's the first thing that comes to your mind and you can't say both. Okay. All right. Would you rather be right or in control? Probably more control. Yeah. Okay. Would you rather yeah. have control or be noticed? Um, probably still in the control category. Okay. And what about have control or have trust? Uh, trust. Yeah, definitely. It's cool. It's, you know, it's interesting because I, when when I first was asked those questions myself, I'm like, who doesn't, who doesn't want all of those things? Like, of course I want to be right. I I want people to trust me. I want people to, I want to have control and I want people to notice but then sure. I, you know, I had someone who was working with me and they really dug in. They're like, yeah, but if it came down to it, I was like, oh, well, okay. I see where you're going yeah. with that. Yeah, um, Marcus, sure. I appreciate all the candor that you gave. Um, I mean, I, you're an interesting guy. You're an impressive guy. And I wish you revival, uh, functional bodybuilding, all the success that, that, that is coming your way. Hopefully it's more than, than less. Is there anything yeah. that you feel like I didn't give you the opportunity to speak on that you have an urge to put out there? Is there anything that you're promoting, anything that's coming out that people need to know about? Um, no. Uh, well, I'll actually, yeah, I think I can, I can announce it here. It's uh, in the works. It's, um, you know, functional bodybuilding. I talked about our, our tagline, look good, move well. 
Um, I think uh, in the next month, um, Mizba and myself, Mizba Airborne Mind Show uh, host, uh, we're going to put together a little um, weekly 30-minute podcast uh, called the Look Good, Move Well podcast that's going to live on functionalbodybuilding.net. And um, I think we're going to try and dive a little bit deeper into some of the you know, practices that go into supporting, you know, fitness for life, fitness, look good, move well practices, um, a bit more of like the in, you know, the, the why behind some functional bodybuilding uh, principles. And then, um, you know, we're going to try and do some really fun interactive things with our audience. But yeah, that's, uh, that's coming soon. Um, and people can keep an eye out for that. Very cool. Marcus, where can people find you, man? Most of them already know where you are, but where can the ones who don't know where to find you find you? Yeah, Marcus Philly on uh, Instagram and functional.bodybuilding on Instagram. Those are my two handles. Um, and then revivalstrength.com uh, is, is our coaching business, which uh, I welcome people to go and check out if they're interested in what we're doing and what programs we have available and coaching services we have. All right. I'm going to get all those in the show notes, make sure people know where to find you. Thank you so much, Sean. Marcus, man, it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, this is great. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the Active Life podcast today. I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you did, please make sure you head to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating so that we can grow and reach and help more people. If you're looking for more from me and my team, head to performancecarerx.com. All the help you're looking for is right there. Until next time, guys, I'm Dr. Sean Pastuch, and the process is the goal.